I want to begin, if you look on your notes, where are we on our journey to joy? Where are we on our journey to joy? Well, we looked at the first Psalm of Ascent. And uh, how are you doing on your reading plan? So if we're in week two, we just completed week two. So if you're doing option one, you read Psalm 120 five days in a row the previous week. This past week, you read Psalm 121, and you're ready. You're ready to hear from that. So I hope you're making that journey. Well, last week we looked at Psalm 120, and it had us stuck. We were stuck in Meshach and Kadar, surrounded by hostile people in a world filled with distressing trouble. And what do you do when you're stuck in Meshach? You pray with confident trust. You wait on the Lord's final deliverance. And you lament that we are still living in a world filled with hostile, unbelieving people. You get the impression... When we read Psalm 120, you get the impression that the psalmist couldn't physically start his journey to joy to Jerusalem. He was stuck there. Uh, And and therefore, his song is a sad one. It's a lament. He's like, man, I know where I want to be, but look at where I am. It bums me out where I'm living, how long I've been living here, and who I'm living with. But the singer stayed focused on the five travel tips that we talked about. He stayed focused on the Lord. Look at verses 1 and 2 of that uh, 120. He says, Lord to deliver him. He stays focused on the coming kingdom. In verses 3 and 4, he knows that God, when the kingdom comes, he's finally going to judge. He stays focused on future grace in Psalm 120, verses 1 and 2. In 120, verse 1, He gives thanks God. He's grateful for past grace of answered prayer. But in verse 2, he looks at future grace, faith in future grace for answered prayer. He stays focused on travel tip number four, the comfort of God's providence, being at work at all times. This is why he's free to lament in verses 5 through 7. And lament because God is in control and one day it's going to change. And then finally, he stays focused on the whole person and he says, deliver my soul. That was travel tip number five. So I just want you to see that though he was stuck physically where he didn't want to be, he wasn't stuck spiritually because he stayed focused on the travel tips. Well, now we're in the second psalm. And this past week, I hope you've read it. Uh, uh, those of you taking that option five times this week. And now the psalmist is not stuck, but he's on the move. He's on the move. The psalm of ascent, Psalm 121, has us on the move. We are now actually moving out of Meshach and Kadar. We begin our journey to joy surrounded by dangerous mountains, difficult terrain, the searing heat of burning sun and the fierce cold of moonlit nights. Boy, that sounds like a great journey, but it's the journey that we're on. So here's what I want you to do. I want to show you this video. It's the, it, it's, it, it takes you through Psalm 121 and gets us ready for our lesson.
wasn't too cheap to not buy that. They just don't sell it anymore. So I had to use the, the preview thing. So I didn't want you to think I was uh, reneging on their, on their product. But man, what a great psalm. I have enjoyed dwelling and really uh, uh, living in this psalm. But one thing you notice in Psalm 121, and you pick it up there in the video, is we don't leave all our trouble, troubling distress that we saw in Psalm 120. Just because we are not living in Makesh and Kadar anymore, just because we're on a journey, we've, we've accepted the Lord and we're in a covenant relationship with Him, doesn't mean that we leave our troubles behind at home when we start. There is trouble every step of the way for the Christian until we finally reach the new Jerusalem and the new creation. Remember what Paul said to encourage the new disciples in Acts 14, 22? Here's what he said. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so on our journey to joy, we're going to pass through these mountains. That's how the, the, this, this song begins. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. And so what, what does that represent? The mountains that rise above and before us bring to mind two things, threats and temptations. Threats and temptations. Now, as you read Psalm 121, verse 1, you may be familiar more with the King James version of that. Some of you may be familiar with that, and it makes it sound like our help comes from the hills. It makes it sound like looking to the mountains is a good thing. Listen to the King James version. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. I look up there because that's where my help comes from. Period. But in reality, most translations, if you'll compare, have it as a question. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Now, where does my help come from? Question mark. It's better to translate it that way. In fact, I think I have in your notes, the New Living Translation has a great paraphrase of this. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? In other words... Is he looking at the mountains because that's where he finds his help? Or is he looking at the mountains because there's danger there and he's going to be in need of help? Well, as you travel by foot, because you got to remember, these guys are traveling. You know, they're not in their car. They're not just, you know, zooming along. They're, they're traveling by foot or in a caravan of camels, and you're with your family and, and your community of believers, and you can't help but look up to the mountains and be overwhelmed by their majesty. Uh, when we took our vacation here recently, we went to Wyoming and, and rented a Dodge Caravan. So we were in a caravan, all right? It was a Dodge Caravan Sport. And we're driving along, and, and we just spent the whole week looking up in awe at these majestic mountains. But if you're on foot and you're in a camel caravan, you're not looking up in awe, you're looking up in awe and anxiety because there's all sorts of dangers up there, threats and temptations. So let's talk about that a little bit. The mountains that rise above and before us bring to mind, first of all, threats to our personal safety. You see, in those days, robbers would hide in the hills waiting to swoop down on unsuspecting travelers. So you look up at the hills as you're traveling and you're like, oh, what kind of physical danger is up there? But also, these mountains would not just be along the side of you, they would be in front of you. When the first fur trappers uh, discovered the Grand Tetons, they didn't discover them driving alongside of them. They were right in front of them, and they had to somehow get over them. And so there's natural dangers of traveling on foot. There's difficult terrain. He talks about his foot slipping in this song. There's searing heat of the burning sun. You could get heat stroke out there. There's the fierce cold of moonlit nights. Uh, we, uh, even at camp, at youth camp, we had uh, a couple individuals having uh, uh, altitude sickness. This is all part of, of encountering these mountains. So there was physical danger. There was the threat of natural danger. And here's what happens. When we have threats to our danger, the natural question is, where am I going to find safety? That's the relationship in verse 1. He's seeing these threats. 
and he's tempted to look in the wrong places for security. And so the temptation is this. The mountains that rise above and before us bring to mind temptations to find false security in idolatry. The temptation to find false security in idolatry. Why is that? Because in those days, if you were a pagan worshiper of the sun and the moon and and of false gods, you would go on up to the highest mountain and build an altar. And so as he's traveling to the one true God, he looks up on these mountains and he sees all these altars and all these false gods and false idols. And he sees people worshiping the wrong God. And and it's got to come to mind sometimes, you know what, maybe I don't need to make this long, dangerous trip to Jerusalem to worship the true God. Maybe he's tempted to, well, let's just stop here. This mountain's right in my backyard. This God is right in my backyard. And besides, you worship the God in Jerusalem. He's got laws. He's got rules. He's got holiness. And he expects us to live holy. Man, these other gods, you can hang out with temple prostitutes. You can pretty much live any way you want, indulge yourself. Maybe he's tempted and he's saying, look, is this where my help comes from? The bottom line is, There's all kind of dangers. Look at verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil, all harm, all danger. And so we need to be reminded that the first part of this, of verse 1, is the temptation to be overwhelmed by the very real and ever-present threats to our safety on our journey to joy. There's all sorts of threats to rob your joy. On this journey, there's all sorts of temptations to take a different path, to to worship false gods, to find your joy in false gods and false idolatry. And so the second part of verse one is a question and it rises in our hearts when threats come, when temptations come. And here's the question. Where is the source of my help? Notice what from whence shall my help come now? In these, two, in, the, in these two verses, verses 1 and 2, we're going to see this word help. And I just want to give you two truths about how this word is used in the Bible and how practical that is for our own journey. So here's two truths about the help that we need. Truth number one about this word is this. We cannot help ourselves on this journey. We cannot help ourselves. This word help is really a synonym for the word deliver we studied last week. Look at Psalm 120, verse 2. Deliver my soul. Now look at 121, verse 2. My help. You could just as easily say my deliverance. These two words are are often found in Scripture together. And God is the subject. He is the deliverer. He is the helper, not me, not you. So here's what we need to remember. I think it's pretty easy for us to get the idea that when I was a sinner and needed salvation, God was good back then. And I can't wait for him to deliver me from death. That's good in the future. But sometimes we forget between then and and, uh, then in the past and then in the future, every step of the way, it's only the Lord that can help us. Amen. It's only the Lord that can deliver us. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I can kind of think I can deliver myself or I start looking at other things in the world or other people and other strategies and philosophies. I want you to see that when he uses this word, where does my ultimate help come from? Who is my ultimate helper? We cannot, we cannot help ourselves, save ourselves, deliver ourselves, rescue ourselves from what we really need to be rescued from. Truth number two, we can't avoid spiritual warfare on our journey to joy. You can't afford, you can't avoid spiritual warfare. Why is that? This word help, along with several other phrases in this song, are often used in a military context in the Bible. In other words, let me read you a couple. These are from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 14, 11. Listen to King Asa of Israel. Here's what he says. 
Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you. There's the idea. He alone. You, there's no one besides you to help in battle. There's our word. Help in battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. I think that's all. Listen to what he's saying. It's, that's, that's awesome. I'm in, I'm, I'm in a battle, and on this side are people that have strength, and I'm over here on this side with the people that have no, no strength, weakness. There's no one that can deliver you out of spiritual warfare between the powerful and those who have So help us. There's the word again. O oh Lord, our God, we trust in you and in your name and have come, and have come against this multitude. O oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. There's the context of the idea of help. It's spiritual warfare. Listen to 2 Chronicles 25.8. It says this, For God has power to help and to bring down. There you see the idea. Help is deliverance victory, but he also has the power to bring down. Now, some scholars studying the psalm think that this was really a royal psalm, and this is a king who is going out to battle, and he looks at the mountains, and the king says, where does my help come from? And then in verses 3 through 8, the priest of Israel says, the Lord is your guard. The Lord will keep you. But here's the reality. Whether you're a king going off to war or a believer going off to your daily work, it's all worship, and guess what? All worship is also warfare. Are you with me? So here's the idea. I don't care what you're doing. You know, it's just not warfare. It's warfare 24-7. We're on a journey to the new Jerusalem, and we're at war. And the way we do warfare is through worshiping the one true God. So I just wanted to give you that idea of this help. Who's really going to deliver me in these battles that we have? And the one who's doing it is the Lord, not ourselves, not the things of the world. It's only going to be the Lord. So we are. I, I, Psalm 79, one more. Help us, O God of our salvation. There's the word. Help us, deliver us, rescue us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And deliver us, there's the synonym, deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. So it's not just physical warfare, it's spiritual. So here's the deal. We're on this journey to joy, and there's threats and temptations every all along the way. So the question becomes, what the Ghostbusters sang about. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Right? Ghostbusters coming back. Makes me relive my 80s. Who are you going to call? Love that song. Who are you going to call? And it's kind of interesting because it's about spiritual danger. It's about you know, uh, uh, myths and ghosts and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is demons are real. Who are you going to call? When you need help on your journey to joy. And let me say, and the mountains tell us that, this verse verse tells us, you will need help. You will need help on this journey. Who are you going to call? So I have for you kind of an overview of this song. Verse 1 is the inner struggle of the sojourner. He sees the threat and he's tempted to rely on worldly sources of help. Out of fear, out of anxiety, out of weariness and even apathy or laziness. Can you relate? Right? And here's what he says. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. I see the threats. I feel the temptations. From where shall my help come? And then in verse 2, he answers his own question. I love this. He answers his own question with a settled conviction that publicly confesses where the true believer will always find his ultimate help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Isn't that good? I mean, I just been, if you've been reading that five times this day, you can't help but get excited about that. Amen. My help comes from the Lord. Where does your help come from? My hope comes from the Lord. You know, let me give you a little witnessing thing. Even this week, if you're listening to some unsaved people and they're, they're struggling with something they're, and they're, they're, they're not on this journey to joy, 
You know, they're living in Makesh or Kadar, and they're struggling. You ought to ask, hey, where does your help come from? What's your source of help? And then listen to them. And then once they're done talking, say, you know what? My help, I, I, I learned this Sunday, and, and I've learned in my own life, my help comes from the Lord. Could I tell you about him, how he's helped me? It's really, it's really can be that simple. And then in verses 3 and 8, it switches. See, if you look at verses 1 and 2, it's all my eye, my eye. He is talking, the sojourner, the warrior. But in verses 3 and 8, it switches to you. And here we have fellow travelers, or we have the priest of Israel giving a blessing and giving encouragement. And what a great truth is that. Are you traveling on your journey to joy all alone? Well, obviously not, because you're here this morning. And maybe you're in a grow group. Those are going to start up here again in a couple weeks, in a month. Are you traveling alone? You need to hear from other fellow travelers. You need to hear from God and His Word that the Lord is keeper. So that's kind of the overview. And here's the bottom line. Verses 3 through 8 is an encouragement to be reminded and to never forget Help is always by your side. So look at your neighbor, wake him up and say, Help is always by your side. Help is always by your side. That's that's just good stuff. And I should add to that, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, because this is only for those that are in covenant relationship with the one true God. So that's not true of your unbelieving friends and family. But it's true if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen to Psalm 46, because the rest of the lesson is built really off of this idea. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. So let me take you through the rest of the song. And what we find here are three reasons why help is always by your side. So my message to you this morning is hang in there. Help is on its way because help is always by your side. So let's look at three reasons this is true. First of all, the Lord is always able to be a very present help in time of need. He's always able. That's what verse 2 is all about. Look at what he says. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I mean, I'm telling you what, you could do a 20-week series unpacking the theology, the hope, and the comfort that's in there. Let me just give you two points. First of all, the Lord's always able to help us because, number one, He's our promise-keeping Redeemer. He's our promise-keeping Redeemer. Do not sell short when you see the Lord in all caps. Remember, this is travel tip number one. Jesus Christ is the I am God. The reason the Lord is always able, always able to be a present help in time and need is because he's our promise keeping redeemer. We're reminded that he's the I am God. Listen, our help doesn't just come from any God. It comes from the God who revealed himself as the I am who I am, I will be what I will be when you need it. I love that. I will be what you need when you need it, according to my will and wisdom. Listen, our help uh, comes from the one whose covenant name reveals his character, that he can be trusted to help us, rescue us, save us, deliver us now and forevermore. Not just in the past for salvation, not just in the future when we die, but every step of this journey, God wants to show you and you and you that he is the I am God. All right. And so what's this mean? When I think about this, I always reflect on who God is from Genesis all the way through the Bible. So this God who's promised to be at our side and help us is very able because he provided a promise to Adam and Eve to be forgiven in the dark, in the garden when they had rebelled. They had no hope. 
They had rebelled, and he came and sought them. Adam, Adam, where are you? The I am God provided an ark for Noah and his family in the promise of a rainbow when he destroyed all the earth. The I am God provided a ram in the promise of future, a future lamb of God when he asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son. The I am God parted the Red Sea when Moses and the children of Israel were stuck between the armies of Pharaoh and the Red Sea. The I am God enabled a young shepherd to slay a mighty giant with just one smooth stone. The I am God shut the mouths of ravenous lions for Daniel in the den. The I, listen, the I am God kept even one hair and the clothes from even smelling like smoke of the three Hebrew men in the fiery furnace. The I am God became a man and was crucified for the sins of the whole world, rose from the dead, ascended on high, and he sits and he rules and he redeems and he rescues. And the I am God stood up from his throne to welcome the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And the I am God confronted that wild killer Saul and converted him into the wild missionary Paul. I mean, this is our God, right? He's able, amen? Is he able? Yeah. The Lord is able to be a very present help in time of need because he is the Lord, the promise-keeping, ever-present Redeemer. But listen, he's not just that. The second thing that makes him able is he's our powerful creator. He's not just our God. He's the creator of everything. And again, we get lost in this idea of God being creator who made heaven and earth. That means everything, right? Heaven, earth, the whole bit, the whole enchilada. And we get lost into evolution and creation and we forget the theological truth that if God made everything, guess what? He's all powerful. And not only is he all powerful, but guess what? He's present everywhere. That's what he's saying. That's what he is saying. Our God is able. The source of our help is able, is powerful, and is present. He's not just any God. He's the God that created everything. So here we are on our journey. See those altars? See all those altars dedicated to false God on those mountains? Guess what? My God made those mountains. That's a big deal. See those bad guys waiting to jump us and take our money and perhaps even take our lives? Guess what? My God gave them life and my God can take their life at any time and when they die, they'll stand in judgment for him. See that burning sun and that shining moon in the freezing darkness? Guess what? My God created those lights and put them up there. That's my God. He is able. I look at the mountains and I remember my help comes from God Almighty, El Shaddai, the mountain maker. I look at the high places and altars dedicated to all sorts of false gods. And I remember my God is greater than any so-called God. I don't know what's coming against you right now in your life, but realize this. God's greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I look to the future, and I don't know what lies behind that next mountain. And to be honest with you, I don't know how many mountains and valleys are ahead of me in my life. But this I know. God made them all, and they all pass in front of him. And he is able to be a very present help in time of need. Man, that's just good stuff. But he's not only a helper, he's a keeper. As we look at verses 3 through 8 now, the word turns from help to keep or guard or watch. It's used six times in these verses. And every time it's that word, guard, help, keep. So here's the second reason our God is a very present help in time of need. Number two, the Lord is always ready to be a very present help. He's always ready. He's not only able, but he's ready. It's one thing to be able to help us. It's another question, is he ready to do it? And listen to verses 3 through 6. Let's read them 
Follow along in your Bibles. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. I see at least three principles in here that that shows us that God is always ready to be a present help. Number one, he who keeps us never sleeps. Man, that's just good news. It's repeated twice in there. He neither sleeps nor slumber. Now, let me give you a little little uh, uh, explanation here on slumber and sleep. The word for slumber is the cat nap. How many of you ever nod off? Well, I mean, you, some of you have already done it today. Okay, I get that. I see that. Okay, so you nod off. This is what you do when, 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 when you're listening to us teach or preach, okay? It's what you're doing. It's what I do Sunday afternoons when I watch the Royals game, right? Uh, Gwen, are you, you know, Gwen's always asking, are, are you watching that? Well, yeah, I'm watching that. Or, or can I change? No, I'm watching that, but I'm dozing, okay? Uh, it's, 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 slumber is where you nod off quickly and you jerk back up and you miss something that happened quickly. Uh, my wife does this throughout our movie watching. Do you not, Gwen? So Amber has now, Amber gets offended that mom sleeps during movies, dozes. She slumbers doing, and she personally gets offended by it. I'm like, let it go, honey, let it go, because it's going to happen. So Gwen, so some, so our question whenever we watch a movie is, Gwen, are you going to watch it or are you going to, you're going to slumber? Okay. No, oh, no, I'm going to watch it. So she'll watch it and she'll fight sleep and then she'll slumber or doze right at the end. And she'll get so mad because she watched the whole movie and then she missed the ending. And Amber and I are like, that's your problem. You just got you got to live with it. That is your problem. But the word for sleep, the word for sleep is that deep sleep where you put the do not disturb sign out on the door and you're out like a light. Now, we I, I experienced it. All the counselors experienced this at camp. OK, so I was with Austin. And uh, Austin, I mean, I'm standing over Austin, shouting in his face. You know, I figured I might as well enjoy this because he's not hearing a thing. Uh, get up. It's time to get up. You got to go eat. And he finally wakes up. I mean, it was a morning ritual at breakfast at camp for all the counselors to share. Oh, yeah, their phone just goes off and off. I went in the shower and I came back. The phone was still going and they weren't asleep. Why? Because they were sleeping, not slumbering. They were sleeping. Well, here's the good news. Our God's not that way. Listen, he doesn't doze off. Nothing, he doesn't miss it. There's nothing that just, man, you know, don't you sometimes feel like, Lord, did you not, did you not just see that? Do you not see what they did to me? Do you not see what they said to me? Are you slumbering, dozing up there? Sometimes we think he's just really out like a light and he's just, do not disturb. Do not disturb. The reason why this is so important is because in those days, unbelievers worshipped gods who literally you had to wake up. And people still worship gods like this today. They will ring bells. They will fly flags to get the attention of their god. And in 1 Kings 18, 25 through 29, we see an example of this with Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story? An altar of sacrifice was prepared by both, both the 450 false prophets and the one true prophet. And if you want to turn your Bibles, 1 Kings 18. Turn your Bibles, 1 Kings 18. I want to show you how this plays out. Because it's being played out all around the world. People are, again, are ringing bells, hitting gongs, flying flags. Some are even cutting themselves, whipping themselves. This isn't just old news. This is current reality. So look at 1 Kings 18, 25 through 29. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire. They're calling fire down. Whose God is going to hear them? 
whose God is the more powerful? Then they took the ox which was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. And here's what they're pleading. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. And it came about noon and the prophet Elijah mocks them and says, Call out with a louder voice for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, which in Hebrew meant he went to the bathroom. Maybe your god's on the toilet. And you don't disturb. Right? Or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. And here's what's amazing. These false prophets don't say, hey, our God's not like that. They're like, you know what? That's some good advice. Maybe he is asleep. And so look at what they do. So they cried out with a loud voice, and they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed gushed out on them, all trying to awaken and get the attention of their divine helper. And when midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And here's some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's not our God. You don't have to get His attention because He never sleeps. He never slumbers. I love this story. Back in World War II, the Germans were bombing London all night, every night. And after one terrible attack, the people of London began to search for the dead and wounded in the rubble. And after a while, they felt like they had accounted for every single person except for one elderly grandmother, a certain Mrs. Smith. And they searched everywhere for her. And finally, someone found her in her bedroom, fast asleep in her bed. And they were shocked, and they asked her, Mrs. Smith, how could you sleep with all those bombs going off around you? And here's what she said. It's priceless. Well, the Bible says that he who keeps Israel never slumbers or sleeps. So I decided there was no use in both of us staying up. So I just went to sleep and left it in the Lord's hands. Isn't that good? Amen. Yeah, you bet. He never sleeps. And because he never sleeps... He's ready to help us, and he who keeps us will never let us slip. You won't. He doesn't sleep, and because he doesn't sleep, you won't slip. Now, look at verse 3. It says, he will not allow his foot to slip. Now, that's very important when you're climbing in the mountains. And In fact, uh, when we were in Colorado climbing up, uh, there was an, an older lady whose foot slipped. And she fell. Both of her pant legs on her knees were torn. She had a severe cut that was bleeding profusely on her head. And, and her foot slept, slipped. And it can be dangerous. And it can not only not be just dangerous, it can be deadly. You slip one way on certain paths and you're gone. That's the idea here. But what does it mean he will not allow your foot to slip? Have any of you ever tripped? So did the Lord break his promise? Have any of you have ever tripped spiritually? Now, come on. You're, you're tripping right now if you're lying. You know, don't lie. Okay. Did you, all, you ever trip spiritually? Yeah, we did. So wh- how do you deal with this? I thought we took God's word literally. I thought he kept, you know, his word is... He will not allow your foot to slip. So what does this mean? Well, it means this, that you'll never trip in life and stay down. In other words, a true believer never has to say, I've fallen and I can't get up. Now, you can't get up in your own power because help does not come from ourselves. But if you are in covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you fall, you will get back up. Now, that's good news. You see, when you fall in sin, you won't stay in it. When you fall in sin, you won't be overcome by it. When you fall in sin, you will not forever be in bondage to it. Amen? Why? Because He won't let your foot slip and stay that way. That's the idea. I love this. Listen listen to this statement. For the true believer, the journey always ends well, even if it doesn't always go well. Isn't that good? 
That's what it means that your foot... Your foot may slip, but you're not going to go over the cliff. Your foot may slip, and you're going to be like this lady that was on the trail. I mean, I I admired her, and it kind of made me think about what I need to be caring with. And she had her back little backpack. I mean, she whipped out her first aid, and I mean, I thought they were going to perform surgery there for a moment because she had she was ready. She tripped, but she was going to make it back. She's going to make it back down. Made me think of uh, when we were in the Tetons. We uh, we we were driving along, and every once in a while, we actually I could get Gwen and, and Amber out of the car and and hiking up a hill so we see this hill and i'm like hey i'm always looking for great picture shots and i said you know what if we get on the top of that hill right there and it was just a hill it was just a little hill and it just looked easy and i said if we get on top of that we'll have a great picture so we all we pull the 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 car over and we get out and we start going up and it didn't take us about four feet up this little hill to realize man the it sure looked easier from the car, right? And so we're going up this thing, and, and there, it, it, that, that whole valley was formed by a glacier. So all the rocks are very smooth and round. And I mean, you know, we're about halfway up. And then it came to that, you know, if you've ever done this, you get about halfway up, and you realize, wow, this is really difficult. And then you start thinking about, if it's this hard going up, we still got to go down and, you know, and, and Gwen. Like, well, should we, no, 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 we got, you know, so Amber, we're, we're going, we're going. So we, we get up there and then the bummer was, it was a horrible view. It, it was, it was just like, it didn't accomplish anything. And we took pictures, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was just like this uh, Kansas prairie, you know, and it, it just, so anyway, I was like, okay, so now we got to go back down and, and, and now I'm thinking, okay, this, I wish we hadn't have done that. No big deal. We're going to get down. So we're getting down. So Amber, uh, she, the kids call her Amber Goat because she runs all over these mountains. So she goes running down, and she's going down. She's in front. I'm behind her. And I'm thinking, man, this is, I mean, I don't hope my feet don't go out. And then all of a sudden, Gwen's behind me, and, and I hear some, we hear some rocks fall. And we're all each concentrating. And Amber looks back and says, Dad, look at Mom. And so I'm, I'm kind of based myself. I look back, and there's my dear wife, flat on her belly. I can't even show it. Flat on her belly, holding a little sagebrush, like, and, and with her head down like this, and her feet are up, kind of going, you know, like this. And she's on her belly, and she's just looking down. And, I mean, this happened like 30 seconds ago. And Gwen said, Amber says, look at mom. And it took me, I mean, she'd been in this position for a good minute now. And she's just not, she's just there. And I said, like, Gwen, what are you doing? I don't know. You know, she, you know, she trying to figure out how to get in the car we're talking about. I said, what were you doing there? You were just like, well, I was trying to figure out how to how to get out of this, you know, and and what had happened, you know, when you go down a mountain, you go sideways, kind of. And she knew she was slipping, and here's what she did: she knew that her foot was slipping, and if she didn't grab something, then it was going to be bad. And so she grabbed, and, and let me tell you, sagebrush must have deep roots because this thing was small, and she's just hanging on it. And I think that is such, and I said, well, what were you doing? She goes, well, I was trying to figure out how to get out of this now. I just didn't know how to get up. Now, here's the point. Her foot slipped, but that sagebrush helped her, delivered her from it being damaging and going all the way down. Well, listen, Jesus is your sagebrush, okay? You hang on to him, and he will deliver you. Now, here, it gets even better. He who keeps us, is always by our side. He's ready. Listen, he's ready not only because he never sleeps, not only because he will never let you slip, but he always he who keeps us is always by our side. Now, this is where I think the main idea of this passage. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand, and the sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Now listen, working through this psalm, you know, this psalm kind of can freak you out. Okay, the wilderness, I've walked in the sun, I've, you know, I've been out at night. That the Lord is your shade. And the key to it is, this word for shade can also mean shadow. 
And here's the point. The Lord is your shadow because He's always, always by your side. And He's big enough that He can block whatever is coming down upon you. What, and, and the point is not so much the sunshine and the moonlight. The point is whatever happens under the sun by day and whatever takes place at night under the moon, it doesn't matter what it is, He's right by your side. And He casts a large shadow. Amen? And you know what happens with shadows? They're bigger than the object that they're next to. And you know what is also true about shadows? Is you can't get away from them. You ever had a kid? You ever seen a kid discover their shadow? It's hilarious. What do you do? You can go on YouTube and even Google it. You ever seen a kid discover? They, they run from it. And what happens? What happens, Aaron? And it's, it's just always there. And then some, ki- some kids get afraid. And it starts freaking them out because they're like, ah, it's still coming, it's still coming. Well, you be afraid. The Lord's always with you. Wherever you go, whatever you counter, anything, anything, He is our keeper. So that brings us to the last reason He is always, help is always by your side because number three, the Lord is always willing to be a very present help. He's always willing. This is good news. On our journey to joy, the Lord is present help in time of need because He's able, He's willing, and He is ready. Ready, willing, and able. So let's look at verses 7, 7 and 8. He will actively protect us from all evil. So again, the question comes up, what do you mean, God, all evil? Evil things are happening. I still can't get out of my mind the image of those Christian men knelt by that beach being beheaded. Did the Lord keep his promise to those men? Well, yeah, he did because he kept his promise to them like he kept it to Stephen because the second those men's life was severed, they were in the presence of their Lord and there could be no more harm done to them. Amen? And do you think they thought it was worth it when they entered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? You bet they did. You see, when he says protect us from all evil, you got to get keep travel tip number three in mind that there's a coming kingdom with a final judgment. And whatever happens to us in this life, it's not the last word. The Lord will keep us. And just like our foot slipping, evil may harm us for a time. But it can't be permanent and it can't take your relationship with Jesus away from you. Secondly, he will actively secure our lives. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. There's travel tip number five again. The whole person. Here's the good news. God doesn't just care about your spiritual life. He cares about your business life, your emotional life, your physical life, your relational life. He cares about the whole thing more than we even do. There was an executive that was getting ready to leave on a month-long business trip, and he prayed with his wife before leaving. Maybe you've prayed this way. Lord, protect Sharon and the kids while I'm gone. And after he said amen, his wife looked up and said, Who do you think protects us while you're here? Okay? And that's the reminder. He, he protects our whole life all the time. He guards. He watches. He's right there by our side. And then finally, he will actively guard all our daily activities, right now and forever. He will actively guard our daily activities. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in. What do you do every day? You get out and you go somewhere. And what do you do? You come back. You wake up and you go to sleep. And here's the good news. Everything in between, the Lord is right there by your side. Man, that's just good stuff, isn't it? A farmer once printed the words, God is love, on his weather vane. And when someone asked the farmer if he meant God's love was fickle as the wind, here's what he said. No, I mean that God's love, God is love whichever way the wind blows. And that's what this psalm is telling us. That no matter what happens to you in life, God is a very present help in time of need. So I ask you today, who are you going to call? Who are you calling when you need help? 
I hope it's not Ghostbusters. I hope it's the great I am God who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the application. A couple things I want you to think about. Look at the application. Don't. The lesson's not over until we apply it. Right now, what mountains are standing in your way? What threats are facing you? What limitations are facing you? And I want to ask you to declare verbally, out loud, in prayer, numerous times, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Use this as a proclamation and as a shout. Secondly, I want to ask you, who do you go for help on your journey to joy? Do you have people with who are are acting like in verses 3 through 8 they're encouraging you you know consider joining a grow group you get in a group of people fellow travelers that will tell you your god is a present present very present help in time of need and then the third application is this share with at least one other person in our class who you're going to call when you need help and why in other words Repeat the purpose of this lesson. Tell them, you know, before you leave or before you leave church, tell someone, hey, this is, this is who my helper is. And then the last one is, is a fun one, and it's this. Take a nat- nature walk. And as you walk and see God's creation, remember, everything you see, you know, I know Dane went and saw some beautiful creation this past week. Everything you see, my God made that. My God made that. And he's right here by my side. And he can help me. Okay, I give you four applications. Not because I expect you to do all four. I want you to find at least one and do something. Amen? All right, pray. Father, we thank you. Wow, what a great God you are. What a great God you are. And Lord, I repent and ask your forgiveness for so often knowing this in my head, but not applying it when I need help, when I need rescue. So often, Lord, I'm tempted by the mountains. I'm tempted by the threat or the temptation to look elsewhere. But Lord, you, you are the great I am God. You are the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, you are ready, willing, and able to be a very present help in time of need. I don't know who needs help here. We all do. But I don't know who needs real special deliverance right now. But I know this. If they're a believer, you're by their side. And if they're not a believer, you will come alongside them as they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Man, we, we are thankful people on this journey to joy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.